This is the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a podcast for creatives, for those who are beginning to be creative or those who have built a business around their creativity. Here, we allow creatives to tell their story about how they got to where they are today, and we give some tips on how to make your creative business better than it was yesterday. Hello, everybody. Did you know that you could support the Pencils and Lipstick podcast and help it keep going into 2021 and beyond? We are over at patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick. You can find three different levels over there in which you can help keep the show going. Part of the structure of Patreon is that anyone who helps the creative keep going in their creativity gets sort of these extra bonuses, these sort of thank yous for being a supporter of that artist or show or whatever it is. I have three different levels over on Patreon for the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. And going into 2021, I decided that I was going to take some time to go back and talk to some of the creatives that came on the show last year and get a little bit deeper about how they survived 2020, what their thoughts were, what they think 2021 will be like, and how they think art contributes to all of this stuff that's going on. So those conversations will not be coming out on the podcast, but they are going to be on Patreon um, behind the tiered walls over there. They are going to be trickling out fairly soon, like next week I'll start dropping the first ones. If you want to get to know the creatives a little bit more and hear a little bit more about their story and how they have handled what's going on in the world, head on over to patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick and sign up today to help keep the show going. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the pencils and lipstick podcast. Today I have with me author and creative Kent Dickerson. He is joining us all the way from across the seas, across the Pacific. How are you doing, Kent? I'm good. It's morning time here. Yeah, we're in the <laughs> afternoon here, morning there. Yeah. You're in the whole new day. Are you in South Korea? I am in South Korea. I like to tell my children I'm calling them from the future. Yes. Because, <laughs> yes, I'm, a lot of times I'm a day ahead of them, so that's kind of fun. Oh, South Korea sounds beautiful. Someday when all this pandemic ends, I hope to. <laughs> yeah, and our pandemic is ramping up a little bit, but it's still nothing like the States. So mm, I'm grateful. That's good. That's good. Um, so we have a couple of things to talk about, but before we get into it, why don't you um, just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I am from Texas mostly, although I lived my teen years in Colorado. and. I started out a preacher, but uh, didn't last but five years uh, in full-time ministry, and then got in the jewelry business and got into making jewelry and then eventually working on watches and Mm. then have done time, some time actually making watches. And so, yeah, so there's some creative things going on uh, always in my life. Oh, wow. So my husband and I just stopped by a watch store the other day and I had no idea because it's the first time he's always been like he wore the watch his grandmother bought him for years and then he picked out another watch. Now he's addicted to the Fitbit things, you know, that can tell him how active he was and how much weight Uh. he should be losing. (laughs) That never (laughs) seems to really happen. But we went in there and I was amazed at the intricacy what is the brand that you can actually see the work behind it? And it's well, like you turn that's it over. called skeletonized. It's not really a brand, just a feature of you know, oh, some the, watches. They're, they're beautiful yeah. and they're so yes. expensive. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, I made a watch with cases, mostly jade. And it is, it's like that. Wow. It's skeletonized. Oh my goodness. But I, I, it was fascinating to see. Uh, I, I don't know why, but like just the machine, you know, just making it go. And with this one brand, they don't use batteries, you know, so you just wind it up and you just think, 
you can't really get more perfect than that. And yet we've gone into, you know, you have to plug this thing in and you have to charge it and you have to do all this mm -hmm. stuff. Like I, I almost would rather have a watch that I have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Most middle-class and up at least have some watches that are mechanical yes. in nature. Yeah. So uh, those are the ones I like to work on the most. I, although the, the quartz watches are easier. But okay. uh, but I really the the design really kind of gets gets me with mechanicals. How did you get into the watches in particular? Was it just a progression from jewelry, or have you always been fascinated with watches and how they work? Well, uh, I I lost a job actually, so <laughs> the the little jeweler I was working for he uh, eventually went out of business, but. So uh, before that, he let me go. And and so I hit up the largest store in Abilene for a jewelry job. But uh, they came back and said, we really need a watchmaker. And we're having trouble finding one. And what would you think about going to school? We'll pay all your expenses and a set salary while you go. So that sounded like a great opportunity. And I got into it. Well, yeah. I didn't think you could say no. <laughs> So is there a particular yeah. place to go to learn about watchmaking? Uh, yes. Now, where I went doesn't have a program mm -hmm. anymore. That was Kilgore College in East Texas. Uh, but, yeah, there are a few schools around that you can go and learn it. And then I took an advanced course in Neuchâtel, Switzerland, when we were living in Germany. Right. And uh, so got a little higher level training. Yeah. There. Is it a, is it is it something that's more revered in Europe than it is in the states? Do you think watchmaking? It, yes and no. As far as manufacturing, for the most part, you know nothing. There's not much happening mm -hmm. in the U.S. There's there's I think two actual manufacturers, and the rest they might make the case and just put a name on. Okay. It. But yeah, most of it's done in Switzerland and Germany. Some in Germany now. A little bit in England. And is this something besides like the Fitbit watches or some, you know, these really nice mechanical watches, they're still made by humans, right? It's not down the factory robots or? Well, it, it's, there are a few people that are called independent creators that do a lot of handwork okay. uh, in making them. But most of them, yeah, they're, they're machine they're done. Down. They're computer controlled machines for the most wow. part. I wonder what we're... some of the finishing is done by hand, even okay. in the high class watches. But I wonder what we're going to do in the future as we do nothing. They're made by computer, but then they're finished by hand. By hand. Okay, so it's still a human deciding the design, maybe the engineering. Yeah. Kind of. Oh yeah. Yeah, we'll all be behind computers at some point, <laughs> or maybe it will all break down and we'll have to go back to hand. Which sometimes I think it'll be best for us. That's always a possibility. <laughs> so you got into jewelry. What kind of jewelry did you make before you were making watches? We did casting, so mostly rings and pendants, um, things like that. And then, of course, just bought chains. We didn't actually make our own chains. And did you Did you but, enjoy that? Uh, was it something that you had always had a curiosity about before? Or was it just sort of the job that came around? Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I was grew up a rock hound, so I loved gemstones and crystals. And I started doing lapidary, uh, which is gemstone cutting, when I was oh, 10. Wow. My grandfather taught me how to cut a cabochon stone, which is typically oval and kind of domed on top. And so, yeah, I was always interested in jewelry. How did he know how to do that? Uh, he was a hobbyist. He was a farmer and he had a heart attack and they said, you can't do farming anymore. It's too hard, but keep yourself busy. So that's what he got into. He got into collecting rocks and minerals and, and cutting stones. That's amazing. I think there, there's something, there's a disadvantage that we have in these generations of like, we think television will entertain us or the internet and we get sucked mm -hmm. down this rabbit hole, I think, and we don't. We don't pursue these kind of more different interests that maybe we don't even know we have until we have to sit still and we won't know we have if we don't turn off the TV. Yeah. 
That's amazing. And he just decided he was going to try to cut them because it's not easy to just cut a gemstone. Now, there are hobbyists and magazines that can help teach you. And of course, nowadays there's YouTube. You can learn anything on That's YouTube. True. But yeah. Most likely a farmer would kind of know what tools are, how to work them. <laughs> I'm just learning how to use a drill to hang pictures in my walls. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit further behind yeah. than your grandfather. So you got into watchmaking and somewhere in there you you were a musician as well. When did you start playing music? Oh, I've always loved singing. My mother used to tell a story about our traveling from Abilene, Texas to Oklahoma to pick up my grandma and then we went to Missouri to uh, visit family and I sang the whole way there and the whole way back at like four years old. So, yeah, I always loved singing. It's always been a part of it. And I started playing guitar at 14. Okay. And uh, so can accompany myself now. (laughs) And have you pursued music ever as a professional career? Is it more a hobby? No, just leading uh, worship at church and stuff. Just enjoy doing it on the side. Yeah. I, I do think that a lot of creative people have several different outlets. And some of them have to be kept hobby, you know, in order to really pursue the other ones. So as you were um, working in the watch industry, when did you start writing? I know your book is rather recent. Your first book came out last year. So the book is actually a long production. (laughs) Took a long time because I didn't like English class when I was a kid. Uh, I loved to read. I I was a weekly reader, used to order, you know, two books twice a month and read all the time. But but I just didn't like diagramming sentences and grammar, all that sort of thing. So I never thought I would be a writer. But then God did kind of an amazing thing with my life. And I started doing men's seminars okay. and then just decided, well, writing a book may help spread my main message. And so I started putting together a book 10 years ago, but it was mostly going to be Bible study at the beginning. Okay. And then I joined a critique group up in Seoul and I was able to go through every chapter with the critique group. It took quite a while. And um, then they kept pulling out more memoir, mm. wanted more of my story. So yeah, it's it's got a lot of memoir in it now. Well, that's nice that the group can sort of give feedback and help you, encourage you to make it really into what it ended up being. Yeah, it's a very helpful. Mm. Now I have a writer's group here on uh, Garrison Humphreys at the Army Library, and uh, we give each other a little help, so uh, it's good to have it locally. So now you can't stop writing now that you've started. Yeah, so I, once I got started, I thought, you know, I've always loved fiction, and I decided I had to try giving a novel try, or actually a series. I planned a series on those who walked with God, huh. and I'm starting with Adam. And uh, writing mostly about Adam before the fall. Oh, that's interesting. It's all kind of uh, uh, imagination. I mean, there's not a lot of scripture, but there are some cues that you get. And uh, so I just decided I'm just going to talk about what it what does it mean to walk with God? How would you do that? And so I start with Adam and then I'll go to a character named Enoch who basically walked right into heaven and uh, and then finished up with Noah, uh, who had a rather amazing construction project uh, that he did with God's help. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm enjoying that, that world, learning how to write fiction as well. That sounds like fun because you can really use a lot of your information, but then you can your your imagination, I'm sorry, but then you can give a lot of information that maybe people who wouldn't want to read nonfiction can get from the fiction. You know? Yeah, for sure. Oh, I love that. 
I don't know a whole lot about Enoch, so I'll have to read your book when it comes out. And it'd be pretty amazing to just walk into heaven. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the book that took you 10 years to sort of come to as it, it started out as a Bible study called Remade, correct? Yes. Remade by Kent Dickerson. So how did you come about to wanting to write if you are just a, a reader and you didn't really enjoy the process of writing? Yeah, I, I just... Um... I just decided uh, once it just kind of God put it on my heart to to do this. And so it, it took a lot of just digging deep mm. and started saying, OK, I got to know these rules of grammar. and I got to figure out the 12 rules for comma use and all those kind of things that it gets rather complicated. And uh, so I've, I've that's been slow <laughs> coming. But actually telling my story was was relatively easy mm. because you you know what's happening next. Right. <laughs> you know, it's not where you gotta you gotta figure out what happens next because you know you lived it. And uh so that part was easy. But it was really a great process for myself. Okay. I wish I'd have started it years ago, uh just for my own growth. Okay. Do a lot of introspection and kind of analyzing. I write a lot about uh, addiction to pornography, and I did a lot of analyzing. Well, how did I get so trapped mm. into something that I believed was wrong, something I knew was harmful to me, and uh, it certainly proved out that way in my life. And so, I yeah, it was very good for me to do the writing, and. Along the way, so I, I really, I might say that I really, first of all, was addicted to beauty, mm. and uh, just always loved crystals, beautiful rocks and minerals, uh, beautiful wood, especially one that has high figure grain in it, and I always loved just beautiful cars and beautiful architecture and paintings, just. Yeah, I was I was just I love beauty. Right. I was so attracted to beauty. And that's a lot of what my life was about. And so when I was addicted to finding pictures of of naked women and just it was kind of a of course nowadays you have the internet it's even more problem but it's really a, a thing that's like you're never satisfied. There's mm -hmm. always you think oh there must be a better one somewhere even though what you see is you think is pretty amazing and it's it's a thirst that's never quenched that's interesting and so when I really came to grips with it was after I had a brief affair and then a divorce and remarriage and just had a lot of destruction in my life and was really with getting back in the playboys on my second marriage Oh. Uh, that happened when I was in Switzerland, and I could see my wife some of the weekends, but what wasn't with her all the time, my new wife. And this time, I just got absolutely desperate mm. when I threw away the Playboys, and I really dug into wanting to get rid of them. I told God, I'll do anything you want me to do, uh, but I have to have help. Huh. And so you knew it was going so, to probably lead to the same... You love your wife, but you didn't want it to lead your addiction to lead you to to strain from her. Is that why are you, or you were yes. just tired and, of the the whole cycle? Well, I also knew that it kept me spiritually hmm. like with a ceiling. Okay, where I couldn't grow past a certain point hmm. because of my duality of heart, and so that I I addressed and. God put it uh, pretty plain to me that uh, he wanted me to talk about it. Okay. And at the time, you've men, you never heard anything about this in churches. Mm. But I went to a men's retreat. There were 45 men there. And I just opened up. I said, this is, this is my problem, guys. And, and uh, I'm working on on ridding myself with this problem with God's help. And almost to a man, every man said, I struggle with the same thing. 
uh, that wow. weekend. And so began to see, okay, I'm, I'm not alone. I'm, this is a common thing. And of course now it's, it's extremely common and yeah. that was helpful, but it can kind of give you an excuse. Well, everybody does it, but I really, yeah, I really just stayed in that mode of, of asking God for help and started talking to men, having a spiritual review every week and not just talking about when we messed up, but talking about good things too. What great time right. of worship did we have this week? What new thing did God show me uh, in our studying the Bible? And just good things is mixed in, and, and that all helped to eliminate the pornography. But I still struggled with lust at the gym. And mm. every time I went to the gym. And so I was not satisfied with that and I was praying in the parking lot and as long as I was praying about me and my weakness not much happening but then I asked to experience God through the temptation and he led me to contemplate his holiness and to pray about that and it was far more effective and that's interesting yeah and then there were other things uh other passages of scriptures would come up. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are saved. That was important. Well, I'm I'm thinking as you're saying this, like, A, a lot of us who grow up in the church, who are Christians, we maybe we keep addiction hidden because we think that it should be easy to just over, like, it should go away mm-hmm. somehow because we believe in God because we pray it away. And then I think part of it too, we get shamed by society calling us hypocrites because we have human, we have human struggles. I mean, we're just humans mm. really, you know, who are looking to, to walk the path of with God. Um, so how do you think that plays into this addiction struggle that we're having? Cause in America, we're having porn addiction, opioid addiction. We have I think we have social media addiction, people's approval addiction. I mean, we're really, I think a lot of society is struggling with all these different things, these um, distractions. So how do you, how do we sort of like balance that out and still pursue, I guess, holiness is the best way to say it even, although if people are listening and they're not Christians, that might seem far-fetched. I don't Mm. know, but we're, we're pursuing a way out of this. So let me give you two different questions. What would you say to to Christians struggling with people calling them um, hypocrites? And and I don't think it even has to be pointed at them. A lot of times you just read it in the news articles or Twitter or whatever. Oh, Christians are hypocrites. And you think, well, yeah, I guess I am a hypocrite, you know, because I have these struggles. What what would you say to them about how how to keep going in the midst of that? How to keep pursuing a way out? Okay. Um, I would say it's kind of a, double-sided coin. There we Mm. have shame. We have shame that we feel from being a hypocrite, but we also have shame from other Christians. And and so that shame keeps us from actually opening up about our struggle. And for the most part, if we keep these struggles our own little private secret, we're stuck with them. Mm. We can't seem to overcome you know, by ourselves. We have to have encouragement, help others that share our journey. And uh, okay. so I I would say, yeah, that's, that's one of the things going to be helpful to you if you're feeling like a hypocrite is where you're getting real. You know, you're, you are mm-hmm. shedding light on your hypocrisy. And that's the first step in uh, helping it. And I'm, I'm not saying you have to do like I do, get up and speak about it to groups of people, <laughs> but I'm I'm saying you need somebody that you get okay. real with and are sharing with on a regular basis. And that will help a lot, that feeling of hypocrisy. And then, you know, if you if you get caught, shall we say, by uh a non-Christian and you're called a hypocrite, you 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 own up to it. You know, just say, okay. yes, you know, I'm I am struggling and and I have people trying to help me 
with this and I indeed press into my relationship with God and he is really the biggest help. And yeah, yeah, that's going to be the biggest help for you. Just own up to it. If if you get caught, if you, you know, if somebody just in general says all oh, Christians are all hypocrites and you can, you can just open up as an opportunity to share mm. uh, with others. That's a good way to see it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I struggle sometimes with responses for people because really like, well, Christians are humans, (laughs) you know, in all different stages of life. And depending on when you get saved, you still have like nothing magically disappears and everything become perfect Mm -hmm. just because you decide to believe in Jesus, you know, which it's a strange, it's a strange phenomenon we have going on in society. Um, I also see a little trend of people leaving one addiction and sort of falling into another. And, you know, they might leave alcohol addiction and they'll become extremely addicted to sort of to online activity or they'll be, you know, become addicted to vaping or they'll become addicted to, you know, they sort of like sink into this hole of I'm going to do this one thing and I can't get over it over and over again. Do you think that it? it is almost like what they call the addictive personality. You just fall into another thing if you're not careful. Well, that's our, our brains are very unique (laughs) in that Mm. what you do habitually will uh, essentially it's like driving uh, on a dirt road. You, you wear a rut in the road, the more you drive it. And the same okay. with your brains. You build pathways in your brain that are uh, easily fallen into. You know, you're anywhere near in a subject and you find yourself in that rut again. And so mm. one of the ways that people fight it is is they find different ruts. <laughs> and okay. uh, yeah, so that's, that's part of it. And uh, of course, a lot of the guys, they're trying to uh, kick pornography and they'll go to gaming and oh. you know the gaming is very big and next thing you know they're staying up nights you know playing the games and and that's not the solution of course so the good thing is is you can build pathways to good things you can think about mm. things that are productive and healthy and uh, mm. of course as a christian one of them or the biggest thing is just thinking about god about the nature yeah. of God and and how he how much he loves me and digging in deep in our relationship with God. Well, when you found yourself going from one sort of kicking pornography, but you were honest with yourself saying, okay, but I still, my eyes still go towards, you know, in the gym, things of beauty, I guess is what you were, mm-hmm. your eye was pursuing. How did you not give up and sort of be like, well, I guess this is, I'm just a man. I don't know. (laughs) You know, all these excuses that we give. Well, I think it's because I was doing a lot of Bible study and, and I was reading really what was clear to me is that victory is possible and victory Mm. is available. And I kept pressing into that. And at the gym is where God showed me that relationship with him was where I was lacking and that I needed to be okay. more upfront with him, tell him about everything I'm feeling and, you know, just kind of share with him. And then he helps me process uh, my hmm. thinking and help me to have uh, uh, my thinking move towards a higher level where I was thinking about hmm. things which were excellent and noble and uh, true, pure. In other words, getting, getting my attention off of the bad even in repentance, you know, if, if mm. I'm totally focused on repentance, I'm still focused on me. Uh, it, it, so you have to go to positive thinking. You have to go to better things. And God, after, after probably nine months at the gym of having that kind of experience, God gave me experience uh, in the mountains. We were in Germany. And my wife had training at Garmisch, Germany, which is on the Austrian border in the Alps, one of the most gorgeous places on the planet. And uh, 
we were there. My wife was being trained during the day. And I just thought, okay, I'm just going out. I'm taking my guitar. I'm going to go to where I can just sit in this view and sing praises and just commune with God. And so I was enjoying that for a couple hours. And during the middle of that, uh, God impressed me that this most beautiful scene is beautiful because I am beautiful. Mm-hmm. And then a little later, the thought that this is really only a dim reflection of my beauty. Hmm. And so I thought about that a lot. I thought about how, well, I've always been chasing beauty. I've always loved beauty. I think what I really want is to see God's beauty. And okay. that's my my deeper desire. And so I just thanked God for the reminder of his beauty. And that became a way to overcome lust completely. I could see a woman, didn't matter what she was wearing or not wearing or how good she looked. If I quickly just thank God for a reminder of his beauty, it was like my mind didn't go to lust. I could appreciate the beauty that's before me because it's part of, you know, what's leading me to God. And wow. Yeah, it was that was very powerful. So how how do you think I mean I, a I think it's amazing that you you figured out really what you were seeking is beauty. I think that takes a lot of self reflection and being really really honest with yourself about your flaws or your your struggles or you know, and a lot of us don't do that. You know, we kind of want to brush aside, you know, like, oh, well, maybe he has an addiction, but I just, you know, I, I don't have, I'm not addicted or I just have this little thing over here and we never really deal with those, those problems. And we don't do that self-reflection. And then because of that, we never get to that point of, of really kind of understanding more of ourselves. That's of course the, the biggest temptation now is just to get distracted. You see something yeah, about yourself yeah. you don't like, then you get distracted with something else and you can forget about it for now. And that's, yeah, that's the easiest thing to do. But uh, if you are really wanting to change, if you're wanting to improve, if you're wanting to grow, it takes some looking at those things that are a bit hard to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And really like to understand that even though it's hard, you can find breakthroughs that are amazing and life-changing mm-hmm. and will will really kind of flip your world on its head for the better, you know. And then it's funny how our brains work. A lot of sometimes we'll go on, forget about that really, and not go on to the next, the next level. Um, but it seems like you just you kept going. So at, at this point, when you really understood how to overcome not only addiction, but lust, were you already talking to bigger groups of men and thinking about writing your book at that point? I was doing weekends called Trace Dias weekends, which are one of these three-day uh, Christian events. They have weekends for men and weekends for women. And I was speaking at those pretty regularly. I was doing some men's seminars uh, a bit. Uh, of course, now with COVID, that's kind of shut down. <laughs> you can't yeah. do a whole lot. I'm hoping to get the opportunity to do it uh, and actually get videoed uh, on it okay. so I can be up. But um, it it was where I was addressing it regularly anyway. I mean, because mm. I'm always part of men's Bible studies. and okay. The subject comes up and yeah, and a lot of men's groups, yeah, they'll go through a, a pretty lengthy study uh, about it and uh, gives opportunity to just share with them the, the joy that I've had in, in finding victory and encouraging them to do the same. So you didn't wait until everything was perfect to talk to others about it and to share and to teach. Yeah, I think I was trapped by my own words. So I told God, I'll do anything you want me to do. And, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> you know, it when you do that, 
he's going to uh, get you out of your comfort zone. And uh, I think God essentially said, you can just forget shame. That's no longer involved. That you are here to help. You're here to be light in the darkness. And to get there, you have to, you know, you have to shine light on your own darkness. And right. Yeah. It's a big deal to talk about your weaknesses to other people. And to know somebody in the crowd is probably judging you or <laughs> like yeah. kudos to all of you who do that. I tried to do, I tried, I spoke once at church and my hands are shaking so bad. My friend in the very back <laughs> was like, um, were you a little nervous? <laughs> <laughs> she <Yeah>. knew. <laughs> yeah. She knew she could see it. So how you started out writing the book as a Bible study, I guess, because you were involved in Bible studies and you thought you might as well bring kind of the words that you can give to men who are around you, put it in book form and, and give it to men around the world. Yeah. And, okay. and others, cause I really feel like the path God put me on is, is going to be helpful to anyone uh, with any okay. of their bad behavior <laughs> that they're trapped in. Yeah. Yeah. Any of the addictions that we have. Do you think that you were such a creative person, even from a young age? Do you think that having these addictions, these ruts in our brains, as you say, like, does it impede our creativity at all? Well, yes. I think there are ways in which we find ourselves distracted, you know, having difficulty focusing on what we're trying to be creative with. And so those ruts in the rain that you've built in other things are going to be easily fallen into. Um, It'll be maybe enlightening to your creativity to, to go ahead and address them and, and work on them and share them with others. At least, at least one person, you know, that's going to, those are going to be things that will open up that, creativity and help you surpass the distraction. Hmm. I think that's an interesting thing. Cause I think even if you are rather prolific in your creativity, if, if you do have one of those things that I, I mean, I would, I would think social media in itself, I found myself <laughs> constantly reaching for the dang phone, you know, and I'm thinking, I need, even though I use it for business and all that, that's usually the excuse in the back of my head. And when you start making excuses, I find that that's because there's an issue. (laughs) So (laughs) we might need to put the phone away more. But I do think that it, as you said, it sort of impedes. And even if you're doing your work and you're like, well, I'm being creative, I'm getting all my work done. it, It would be amazing to see what you could do if you really didn't have you know, if I didn't reach for the phone, I know just, and this is, I think years ago, 10 years ago or so, I was really numbing myself with television. It was just when television, you could download it on the internet. You know, I don't think we had Netflix yet. I was in Europe. So I was all, you know, on the different time zones and you could sort of figure out ways to get, you know, the show. And so I would download, wait for a week, get them all downloaded and then binge you know, on this and just sort of, and I figured out at one point as I was just not, I felt like I was in a cloud and I felt like God impressed on my heart to stop watching television. I couldn't figure that out for the longest time. Like, why would that even matter? But I think it's because I didn't want to have silence in my head. I didn't mm-hmm. want to think really about myself for my life or what, you know, the things I might need to change or it, it was an interesting process and it seems kind of silly. I, I've had people kind of roll their eyes at me when I say it, but honestly, when I finally did kick the habit of having the television on, it was amazing hmm. how much I got done. You know, I would always think like, well, it's just on, I'm doing other things. I'm, you know, folding the laundry, but just that, that, kind of distraction echoing in my head kept my head from thinking and it definitely impeded creativity. Yeah. I would say. And that's, that's in our day, day and age. That's, that's what people have to do. They have to just, okay. And I'm going to be disciplined. 
I'm going to try not yeah. having any social media, any phone, any computer, anything for a couple hours and just see how it goes. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think is a good alternative is reading. So right. there, there's something about reading where you kind of slow down and sure. you're not just drug along with the story, but you're, you're interjecting, Oh yeah, I felt like that before. Or, yeah, this kind of reminds me of this experience I've had. And so you do more thinking with reading than you do true. with watching something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. This yeah. is very true. So as you, you decided to write your book and you went into this writing group in Seoul, um, how did you feel about them saying that they wanted more of your story? Well, it was, uh, so let me tell you, first of all, most of them were not Christian. So okay. here I am writing a Bible study and they're like, you know, we, we don't get this. Tell me more of your story. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. So I began to listen though at, when they started being interesting, you know, they're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is really, this is really interesting. And tell us, you know, really describe this. You need to be more descriptive here and hmm. this kind of thing. And uh, it was like, okay, well, I can, if I make the book interesting for a non-Christian, it's going to be that much more interesting for sure. the Christian, you know, if it's holding their attention better. Also, when I wrote about that experience in the mountains, I got pretty descriptive on the mountains and the scene, etc. And uh, they were like, wow, this was, I couldn't put this down. And yet a lot of it was Bible study. They huh. just didn't realize it. You know? I mean, they just, yeah. it, their intention was being kept anyway. And Well, that's good advice then. Yeah. Yeah, it was very good. So from that point, you decided to to set up your own publishing. And is there a reason why you wanted to publish it yourself? Why you went the indie route? Well, I, I read a lot about it. And I was seeing that self-publishing was, you know, kind of growing a whole lot. And it seemed like traditional publishers were often not really putting anything in it <laughs> you know they're yeah. they're not really working that hard at selling this book they still expect you to work to get it done and and so I just decided okay I'm just going to do it myself plus it just it seemed easier in one way but in another way it was harder because I had to learn all these skills <laughs> it's true. first with uh, Microsoft Word which I have a Mac and so I was using Word for Mac and I had all these um, weird corruption stuff come up, and uh, I mean, it was it was almost unbelievable how much corruption occurred in it. Oh, and no. so I was always fighting that, and eventually I switched to uh, InDesign, uh, which is yes. most professionals use. And yes, we all look at the price tag and we try to avoid it yep. until it's unavoidable. <laughs> yeah, so I did. I did switch to that, and uh, a lot of people had fine, you know, experience with Word, but uh, I wasn't. <laughs> and part of it, I personally believe that we have an enemy of our souls, and that probably a little bit of spiritual warfare was happening. Mm-hmm. To, that seemed obvious to me because eventually I retyped the whole thing, oh, downloaded. Wow new office on a new operating system and I got rid of all the old behavior but I had five new problems Mm. I mean it was it was like I say it was almost unbelievable so I thought okay I think we've got spiritual warfare happening and wow and you didn't give up though no I would probably want to throw my computer across (laughs) (laughs) well I've always been kind of stubborn I guess and (laughs) <laughs> um, plus I've always had this thing you have problems you just kind of keep working at it okay. you're a Texan boy <laughs> yeah. yeah just like my grandma you pull yourself up by your bootstraps you keep going what else are you going to do <laughs> really, <laughs> what else are you going to do if you want that book out there you got to yeah. get it done yeah 
So how has the process been um, of getting past those issues and, and getting it published? Did you have a sort of end of the journey experience? I always tell people finishing <laughs> my first book was just like, I did it. You know, there was there's a certain moment of self-reflection like, oh, I actually disciplined myself enough to get all of these papers. All of these words are mine <laughs> you know, in this yeah. little stack of papers. Did you have any sort of feeling like that? I did, but then I thought, well, I have to start marketing now. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I have all these other things I got to learn now. <laughs> so, it's short-lived, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It was kind of short-lived. And even though you are you are going to continue writing your novels, which I I think they sound amazing. Are there other creativities that you're doing? Have you ever gone back to watchmaking at all? Do you think that you will? Uh, yeah, I, I have a, a setup. You can kind of see it behind me here of watch oh, okay. bench and equipment and all that I use. Um, and so I get back in it some. I have a, a design for a new watch to make that this one's going to be a wristwatch. So the case is Jade. Uh, I'm not going to do that much work on the movement. I'm I'm going to use a movement that's pretty nice to start with. Yeah. So that's I just find it amazing that you can works. do the case. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's that's just a hobby now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm I'm really back into full-time ministry and uh but I still okay. have some things to to keep making anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, is your full-time ministry, do you think it will ever be in church form or is it really more speaking to different groups? Well, it's possible. Uh, I've thought about being a uh, men's minister, you know, in a, a larger okay. church. But right now it just seems like I have uh, a lot of ministry to do here. Garrison Humphreys has grown from 5,600 soldiers to 43,000 or something. Uh, in the seven years we've been here, uh, oh my gosh, they've combined most most of the army uh, effort here in Korea into one area. So I have just this huge need men's groups and helping them to start and helping to see that they carry on and have somebody to lead them and this kind of thing. So and then there's a lot of times I get called by chaplains to. Uh, to do some one-on-one counseling yeah, with guys. I mean, being being far away from home is hard. Is As much as soldiers probably don't want to admit it, my whole family, half of my family, soldiers, half of them are nurses, mm. and then I'm in the middle as a writer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I've lived far away from, from home, and it's a difficult thing. And if you're all by yourself, too, sent away as a soldier to kind of the other side of the world, yeah, I can see how... It would be nice to have different groups where you can go talk about something else, talk about your, I mean, life continues, your personal struggles continue. Yeah. And they, they follow you, unfortunately. A lot of the soldiers here are, they're here for one year. And if they're here for one year, they don't get to bring their family. And mm. so they find themselves even more tempted to get in the pornography and they they might not have that much trouble when they're home with their family, but they get here and and it just pulls at them. So, yeah, it's an even bigger problem to help the guys deal with. Well, I'm sure it's pretty amazing to see like where you started and where you're ending, and like the fact that you were willing to go on that journey and pursue victory no matter what yeah. has brought you to be able to help other people, men and women, because I know women is the numbers are up there just as much. Yeah, that is has yeah, grown a lot. Oh my goodness. So I want everyone to know that they can find you at remadepreacher.com. Your book is on Amazon called, what's the full so title? Remade. Remade. Subtitle is A Preacher Finds Victory Over Porn and Complaint. I'm producing a shorter version of changing that subtitle to Finds Victory Over Porn and Other Sin. That'll be okay. up pretty soon. And it's it's kind of memoir Bible study. Yeah. Does it have a separate Bible study as well? Well, there's the, most chapters remember? have the Bible study. There's some here and there, but there's some at the end of the chapter because a lot of people may not be they may get bogged down 
in the Bible study. And uh, so they want to just move on, hear more of the story, and that's okay. And then I have also a built-in journaling guide with just some questions to ask yourself to do some of this introspection that hopefully will help uh, those that want to do that. Yes, I'm a big proponent of journaling. It helped me out of very difficult times. Mm. <laughs> and it helps me go back and realize, oh, okay, you really need to fix this cat. <laughs> so, so remadepreacher.com is the um, website. Mm-hmm. And then remade is the book. And then you have a blog as well. Yeah, and it's I'm sure that's it's under that it's, remadepreacher.com. Yes. So if anyone wants to get to know Kent Dickerson more, I encourage you to go to remadepreacher.com. You're also on Facebook, and I'll have those links in the show as well. But definitely check out the book. It has a beautiful cover. We talked a little bit about that at the beginning, how somebody helped you with the cover. It really does. I always look at, I mean, I know you're not supposed to judge a book by a customer, but I always look. <laughs> Hard not to. Because that's <laughs> it's hard not to. Um, so I, I'm so grateful that you came on and shared your story with us. And I love talking to creatives who have lots of different avenues and to see sort of where they end up and how they intertwine together in their life. Um, so thank you for joining us all the way from South Korea. Well, thank you, Kat. It's been a wonderful experience to be here with you. I, I've enjoyed listening to your podcast and I've subscribe now to it. So I'm going to, I'm going to keep track of you and, and uh, your journey. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Hey, you're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show. It would really help the Pencils and Lipstick podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.